在。Hello and welcome to Writer Mother Monster. I'm your host, Lara Ehrlich, and our guest this evening is Sarah Jassett. Before I introduce Sarah, um, let me tell you about Writer Mother Monster. Our conversations are streamed live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and then released as an audio podcast on all major platforms. As always, please chat with us during the interview, and we'll weave your comments into our conversation. A special thanks to our sponsors and patrons listed on the Writer Mother Monster website. Your support helps make this show possible. And if you enjoy the episode, please consider becoming a patron or patroness to help keep this podcast going. You can look for details at writermothermonster.com. Also, a quick apology in advance. I have a bit of a cold this evening, so I'll try not to sniffle too much. If you see me, if you're watching live and you see me um, mute or even turn off my camera for a second, I'm just blowing my nose and I'll be right back. So now I'm excited to introduce Sarah. Sarah Jassett grew up believing her family was very strange, but later discovered she was Indian. She lives in the UK and writes short fiction about the strangeness of family. She dreams about writing a novel for older children, if only she could get her own children to go to sleep, which I totally understand. She has a one-year-old and five-year-old daughter and describes writer motherhood in three words as hectic, joyful, grounding. Please join me in welcoming Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi, Lara. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to talk to you tonight, um, and we'll start with your three words, tell us about hectic, joyful, grounding. Oh, gosh. I mean, um, I think hectic, I like how I chose hectic as the first one, because honestly, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it's Thursday. And I literally, I couldn't tell you so many things that happened in the last 24 hours. I feel like when you're a mum, you just, your short term memory is just shocked. You don't know anything that's happened. It's just like, what needs to happen? And I say to my daughter, I literally say to her a lot, my five-year-old, I'm like, we need to move on with our lives. All the, all the time, I'm like, we're still eating dinner. Come on, we need to move on with our lives. And you're just always thinking about what's the next thing? Like, okay, dinner. Okay, is she eating? Please finish your food. Okay, what's the next thing? Are you in your pajamas? And you're just, you're just always on this um, kind of treadmill. So you, uh, for me, I just find it, yeah, it's just one moment to the next. And um, I sometimes look back and I'm like, what what happened in the last month what happened in the last year like I don't I no recollection uh so yeah um hectic definitely um what was my second one (laughs) uh let's see joyful oh joyful yeah no there are so many moments of beauty I think in every day of of being a mum and it's it's really wonderful um you know the little smiles they give you the little comments you get from them um, and I think discovering that side of yourself as well, because, you know, you you live the first however many decades of your life as, as sort of a certain identity. And maybe you like kids and maybe you don't and maybe you think you're going to be a mum and maybe you don't. Um, but then when you become a mum, it's like you you meet a new version of yourself. You kind of uh, evolve um, into a new version. And I, I love that. Like, I love the, the mum me um, and uh, grounding, I guess. I think the nice 
one of the really nice things about being a parent is having that almost stable home life. So whatever else is going on, whatever aspirations you have, whatever problems you have, you can always remember that you have you have these little people at home that really love you and that you really love um, and that's like the most important thing and, and you can always put things in perspective oh that's a great point yeah I think all of those are really resonant um, the first one I love that you um, mentioned how hard it is to kind of remember what you do and what you accomplish from day to day with the pace of life as a mother especially if you're a working mother or writing mother or all of the above yeah there are whole periods of time that are just lost to me and I'm like oh wait a second when did I do that it's so confusing (laughs) absolutely I mean um, I spent I think it was uh, a couple of weeks ago I was absolutely frantic because I'm dropping my five-year-old off at school and feeling really proud of myself because this is the day off from work that I'm actually showing up at the school gates really you know alpha momming it um you know saying hi to the teachers you know um and then they're kind of one of the other mums said to me oh how did she get on with the spelling and I'm like what what spelling there was spellings apparently everyone else had been doing these spellings every day and then I was frantically at home like looking in all the places that I must have shoved this paper and getting really stressed and really frustrated with myself and finally I um I spoke to my mum and I was like how did I not put these away and she's like we all had covid last week she didn't go to school you didn't get any papers (laughs) but you know it was it was it was another week and I'd completely forgotten what I that that I'd been so sick the week before we'd all been so sick and she'd not been to school I'd not been to work but like yeah completely lost track of that oh yeah no that's a great and um, unfortunate example. I'm sorry that you all had COVID, <laughs> but <laughs> glad that you didn't miss a spelling assignment. I have definitely missed many, many of those things. Like, um, my least favorite is those days. I don't know if you have this in the UK. Tell us if you do. Days where like kids have to dress up like something or wear a color on a certain day. Or, I never remember those things. Oh, those are awful. Those are, I honestly, especially, um, because it's like you have to choose the path of like least harm. Do I a like throw money at the problem and just like buy them something which is going to be thrown away and made of like plastic, or do I try and be clever? Do I try and make something? But I don't have the time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to try and get something secondhand. It's like why do the why do the teachers do this to us? They know. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. They're um. I think last year there was like a dress like a superhero day. And I was like, unless you've had a superhero costume for Halloween, what? who just has a superhero costume lying around? And it's like, and if, you know, and, and then they said, oh, it could count if they want to dress like a police officer or a fire fire person. And I was like, well, I don't I don't have those costumes. Either. So we, I think we skipped that one, which was fine. I think that's fair. And like the kids keep growing. So you have the outfit one year and the next year they won't fit into it. We in the UK have like um, a Christmas jumper day uh, in December. Do you guys have that? Like wearing, uh, we have like a a wear a silly sweater. Yeah, it's it's the same sort of thing. Um, And I remember, 
I, I completely lost track last year and then I suddenly had um, a notification on my phone like don't forget it's Christmas jumper day and uh, I was like do I do I rush to the supermarket and just buy something and I went in the attic and I found her three-year-old one and I managed to jam her back into it um yeah and I was like she's going to school and that is fine oh yeah that was one of the only ones I managed to get last year because I don't know why but I, I went to Target and got a the ugliest sweater I could find it was an ugly sweater con like, and first of all there are no ugly sweaters like purposefully ugly sweaters for children there are plenty of not purposefully ugly sweaters, but not Christmas. So I got her one that was um, like the smallest adult one I could find, and she refused to wear it. And now we just have this tiny, horrible sweater that doesn't fit anybody. So, <laughs> so brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so let's switch. Let's take a hard right and talk about writing and tell us a little bit about writing and what you write and the strangeness of family and all of that side of your your life yeah um I yeah I write um I think I write quite short stuff nowadays so I've really gotten into flash fiction in the last few years I think Mm -hmm. my sweet spot is about a thousand words um I've just got fed up of like weeping over novels so like about maybe eight years ago, I was like, I'm not crying over any more like half finished drafts. Let me just step aside. Um, and so I, I started writing shorter work and I had I had um, a period of time that I was on a scheme, uh, which I was really lucky to be on. It was um, almost based here in Leicester. Um, it's called the Middle Way Mentoring. And as part of that, I was tutored. Well, I was mentored by a really successful flash um, writer called Tanya Hirschman and she she got me she was like she was kind of like a drug pusher but like without the drug she was like I see that you've written a short story which is 5,000 words what would it be like if it was 500 words and I was like interesting interesting proposition Tanya um, and from there it just kind of it got shorter but I think it works very well as a mum because you can you can start and finish something and you can tweak it and hone it and uh, it all just takes less time, which you just don't have um, as a mother. Um, and yeah, I very much turn my writing inwards in that I, I use it to explore stuff that I, I used to find really weird. So before I used to be, I'd find this stuff weird and I'd be like trying to talk to people about it, um, like loads, and people would be like, can you stop talking about the same thing all the time? It's getting weird. Uh, and now I've realized that that is a sign um, when people like turn away. That's the sign for me to, to, to write that idea down in a story um, and really explore it that way. But, yeah, there's so many things that like seem strange to me, especially like in the Indian culture of family. I lived with my in-laws for seven years and that was really very bizarre. Like it's very strange to live like as a married couple with your husband's parents. Um, like in such a small, I mean, maybe it would be fine, like if we lived in a massive mansion, but you know, in a normal sized house, um, you, you get to know like way too much about each other. (laughs) (laughs) You get very comfortable, like arguing with your partner in front of his parents. And yeah, it's just, it's so strange. Um, and I, yes, I wrote a lot about that. Um, though the way that, I got married was a very traditional way, kind of assisted very much like his family came to sit down in in my 
family's living room and eat like savouries and so we I mean that worked for us but I, it is very strange it's a very strange process you know I mean if you think about it any kind of marriage is quite strange you know like oh we like each other let's do this like until we die um so, so I I do I think it's very odd you know in in general but my specific circumstance and what is considered normal in my kind of culture I found so odd and I, I really enjoyed kind of playing with that also now I think more I'm going into how sort of women get given so much instruction um, and particularly Indian women we get like a lot of how things should be done um, and I really have loved playing with that in in my writing so actually Lara you did say that I could read a little bit absolutely yeah yeah so I'll just read a very very short bit from um, a story that I wrote called when meeting a boy for the first time and I'm so proud of this because it just um it's just a piece that like must have lived inside me for a long time in in various forms and then I was able to put it into writing and I love it so um yeah, I'll read the, just the first, like, couple of lines. Great. I'm going to give you the full screen here. So I'm going to disappear and <laughs> take it away, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so when meeting a boy for the first time, wear something nice, a full-length ball gown or a hat with an ornamental rose on the front. This will show that you have made an effort. As you walk into the living room, crowded with his family and yours, try to look humble and bride-like and not trip over Chubb's the cat winding her way between your steps. Your father will say, this is my daughter, Sidra, which is the cue for you to make salams and sit down in whatever space you can find. Do not ask the boy's mother to stand so you can sprawl across the sofa with one arm behind your head like Kate Winslet in Titanic being painted by Leonardo DiCaprio. That pose works well for Kate Winslet, but it will not work for you. And there will not be enough room for the boy's mother to sit back down unless she lifts your feet and puts them in her lap. She will not do this. So um, this is what I really love about this is it's and, and this happened to me but it happens to I think all Indian girls as they get to a sort of marriageable age you get all this advice uh what to do and how, how what not to do um and it's ridiculous so <laughs> I I just kind of went with the ridiculous and I I it turned into this piece which I really love I love that piece <laughs> yes you'll have to let me know later where we can find your work so that we can read um especially the flash pieces um i love flash and and we'll talk more about that in a second but first i'm really intrigued by the way that you are sort of taking a deep dive into these um cultural expectations and the social conditioning of especially women when it comes to marriage and relationships and um while I am from a different culture, I'm, I feel like I'm doing the same. And it took me a long time to get to that point where I started questioning, um, as you said, marriage, for example, which is such a strange institution. And it's when you think about it, it's like, OK, you know, you meet somebody in your 20s and then you're with them. If all goes well for what 70 more years or so, um, it's kind of strange. So tell me a little bit more about. Um, what it feels like to really mine these um, expectations and and cultural um, mores, and if you've sort of run into any tensions there when it comes to your own family, whether they read your work and and how that plays out. 
Um, it feels kind of, yeah, really brilliant, actually, um, because these stories feel like they are part of me and they're like, they're the stories that I'm, I'm meant to write, if you see what I mean. Um, I always joke with, um, with my friends, actually my friend Sidra, who's, who's, um, watching, I always joke with her that I don't get prompts. I don't understand prompts because, um, I'm like, what did you already work through all your trauma, like writing? Like, what, is, what do you need prompts for? Why do you need someone to say like random words or show you a picture? Like, isn't there deep emotional problems within you that you need to sort out? Um, so the, the stories just come to me really organically and it feels like a way of organizing, organizing what would otherwise come out in random conversations or random arguments. And it feels nice to kind of step away from, from that kind of almost combative interactions with people and work on something like a, a piece that will explore the issue in more in depth and more empathetically. Um, and then it gives me like a great sense of peace as well afterwards. Um, when I, when I feel like I've got it into the right, the right form and it's finished and I'm ready for it to be published. And it's not even, I don't really mind about getting things published that much. It's much more about knowing that I've, I've got the story where it needs to be. Um, yeah, I know it, it's, I do talk to my friends a lot about this, about how like other friends who, who are South Asian and, and write about very true own voices kind of thing. Um, to be honest with you, it's not really been an issue because none of my friends read, well, none of my family, um, really reads my work. And I think it would be, I mean, I don't know, Lara, have you ever tried to get someone to read like something you've written? It's quite hard, right? It is hard. Yes. <laughs> I will say my family does read, um, my work, which sometimes is terrifying. <laughs> so maybe it's better if they don't I don't know <laughs> no I totally get it like um so there's some some things that you might I might write which perhaps and I think I think I I don't ever I write a lot about things about my mother-in-law for example but I never would write a I write, I think, from a place of affection even though you know like any relationship we have our ups and downs but um I hold great affection for her and I actually have more what confounds me more is the the amount of love that you have in that relationship with someone who is actually absolutely nothing to do with you, but they've almost adopted you. You've almost become their adopted child, especially if you live with them. <laughs> you know, you you they end up having so much closeness. Like they'll the laundry load will have your underwear in, and they're going to have to deal with that. And I mean, you will also have to deal with it. But I'm saying you get foisted into this kind of intimacy, um, and that's something I quite like to explore so I don't feel that anything I've written would be offensive but at the same time I do think it's the heart of you isn't it and you don't um you don't necessarily want the people who will know what's true and what's not true or what what's coming from your emotion and what's fabricated uh to see it so I mean uh my family my very close family um I'm sure some of them would be interested in my writing, but I'm very careful about what I share with them. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And you said with Flash um, something that really struck me, which is that you, <clears throat> excuse me, or in your writing, you, you can go deeper into an issue and really find a way to articulate um, 
uh, your inner life, whether it's trauma or um, relationships or what have you. Um, so tell me a little bit, because it's really interesting to think about how deep you can go in such a small amount of space. So what is it about Flash that allows you to go really deep in just 500 words? And how do you do it? Yeah, you know, it's so someone said to me recently, um, like a, a really a friend who's always been really supportive of me. And I send her my stories when when they get published anywhere or when I when I want to. And she's always really supportive. And she said, you know, you you've done so many wonderful stories. You're such a great writer. When are you going to do a novel? Which is what every every short story writer wants to hear. But um I mean it was from a good place and I can understand it. But I think like you're saying with Flash, you're able to tackle so many different things, you know, in, in a relatively short period of time. You know, in a year you could tackle say me say six stories on completely different topics. Um but I don't know. I think we, it's a little bit of alchemy to it, isn't it? Um, how we actually get into it. I think for me, it normally starts with a, a character and um, a moment with them. And I think, I think flashes often kind of boils down to a moment, but, um, I find that the moment that I start, which catches me is often very different to the moment which ends the story and which almost is the story. Um, but yeah, I love that you can kind of, really you can hone into a moment and you can play with time you can see how one moment will influence so much later you can you can I mean you can do someone's whole life um how things tie in across you know decades uh I do really like that the playing with time and I love how um how you can really I think interrogate a one one moment and uh the weight of it so I don't, I'm really not, you know, um, there are some wonderful flash writers out there and I'm, I'm not the most skilled writer by any means. People do some incredible stuff, some really literary stuff, but I, I do think I've got to a place where I can use my stories as a vehicle for what I want to express. Um, and often it's very, very simple, very simplistic in, in technique, but, um, but yeah, it conveys it conveys the uh, emotion, I believe. Well, I hope it does. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think flash really. You don't necessarily get weighed down by the normal baggage of a scene. You know, there's no necessity to describe the room you're in or what color her hair was or you know, she put down her glass, I picked up my hat. You know, all that kind of stuff can go, and you can just just focus on what is important. Um, and the emotions and uh, and what you're feeling. Yeah, and you said it's an ideal form, especially for mothers. Tell Mary, tell us a little bit more about that. Um, so I one thing that I found is my my top mother mother tip, which I've only worked out recently, is while I'm nursing, I write on my phone, and it has been working so well um, because. I, uh, you know, at first I try to grab time here and there, but especially now that my baby, my one-year-old is, and I'm one of those moms who has kids that don't sleep. I understand that some children do sleep. I've, I've read about that, uh, that phenomenon, but it's not happening in this household. So, so, um, yeah, I sneak, have to sneak my time here and there. Waking up earlier, staying up later is not an option because they don't sleep in the day. They don't sleep at night. Um, 
so like my baby at the moment is waking up every 45 minutes. So I'm existing on like oxygen and I don't know, I don't know how I'm getting by day to day. It's a, it's a, it's an experience. Um, so yeah, I realized actually the only time I'm getting is when I'm nursing. Um, and she doesn't really care what I do when I'm nursing and she's normally falls asleep at that time. So I was getting these 20 minutes, um, minute windows, 20, maybe 30 minutes. And I realized I could either read short pieces like flash pieces and I would be able to finish the whole thing and just read it on my phone. There's so much out there. Um, or I could do a bit of writing or, you know, a combination of both one, one day, one, the other. And at first I had, and I think I still do have a bit of an aversion to writing on my phone. It, it's some, it doesn't come naturally to me. Most naturally, I would prefer to be, have a keyboard in front of me and be working on a, on a desktop or a laptop. But I think I've kind of got over it. And, um, yeah, I find it's really good to get, get drafts out. And I find in that way, I'm, I'm able to get, you know, in a month, I could get maybe two, two new stories drafted that way. And I, then I can revisit them. Um, and even I've, this is something that's very new to me, but I've started putting in line edits, which I can again do on my phone. Um, I do it in Google Docs and I can line edit as if, well, line, line, put in line edit comments as if I was reading someone else's work. Um, and actually I'm very sleepy when I'm doing this. So I, when I look at it again, it's like I'm looking with fresh eyes at a piece of work I've never seen before because I don't really remember much of what I, I put in. So in that way, <laughs> the, the mother hormones really help me. Because they do say you need a bit of distance and you need to edit with fresh eyes, right? It's true. Yeah, and since we forget everything that came the week before, you know, it's, there you go. Exactly. Um, but, no, something um, that I love about this conversation is we've, of course, had mothers at all stages of motherhood and all stages of writing on the show. But I think it's been a while since um, I've had a guest who's in the midst of the really hard really hard period with not a newborn, but like a, a child who's going through, for example, this milestone period. And I remember that of every 45 minutes waking up and it's tort it literally, literally torture. Um, and so it's interesting to see you and it's encouraging and inspiring to see you figuring out what works for you in the moment of, of the sleeplessness and this caring for um, a very dependent young person um, yeah, so that's amazing that you're figuring out strategies that work for you in this moment. It'll be interesting to see how they evolve as your children age. Um, but also thank you for joining us at 10 p.m. your time, especially considering that you haven't been sleeping. That's, oh, I feel very honored. <laughs> oh, no, I really, I was really keen because I love, I really love the, the idea of the podcast. And I totally agree because I was listening to some of the previous, um, previous podcast and um it was really nice to to hear people talking with perspective about what motherhood and how it influenced their craft and their practice um but I was also like sounds like it's a lot easier to write when you're when your child is like crying all night and stuff but um no it's it's nice as well to, to have the opportunity to to talk about it I I think I I'm on Twitter quite a lot and I I see the 5 a.m. Writers Club and I just look at them with envy and I want to be like, how do you, how, what life is this, you know? 
<laughs> you're waking up at 5 a.m. voluntarily and you're like awake and uh, and you can you can like you can afford to do that like if I did wake up any earlier then I would be I think it's so tricky because you you have to be your best self for your child as well for when you're mothering you can't do things which are going to exhaust you even though you might want to because then you're going to lose your sh- when you are with them later and it's not you know it's not right um and that's that's been quite um tricky I also think having two so my I've got like a four-year gap and I was very I didn't realize how how independent my three four-year-old was until obviously I had a baby and then I was like oh wow and I know people love and I think it's almost like anti-feminist it's got to this point where the people love to be like oh mums can do it all like mums can still you know go out with the baby you can do it it's fine you can do everything you did before you had a baby and it's like shut up no that suggesting that we can do it is is ignoring the fact that there is so much more work that comes with a baby and I think as well with the one it's all fun and games for for me it was very much like haha I've got a little friend all the stuff I want to do now I've got a little someone to take with you know I, I love going to the park now I can take my child to the park and we can have ice cream ho ho and um, I ride my bike a lot and it was relatively easy um, after the first like year. I used to go around with my daughter on the back of my bike all the time. And it was, you know, you packed yourself up with snacks, you got the baby bag and we were good to go. I mean, um, I had a very, it was very empowering and I kind of still had that sense of independence. But once I had the second one, it was um, a bit of a, a shock to my system because it was suddenly like, actually, there's a lot that you now can't do. Or maybe you could do it, but the amount of work and the amount of energy that it's going to require of you and the planning, um, it's just not really worth it. It's not worth your while anymore. So um, that was a bit of a shock. Um, and the, the loss of, of the independence and the loss of, of time and the kind of being tied back, um, especially with nursing. But I think I have adjusted. And of course, the baby is getting older. I'm back at work now. Um, I had a year of maternity, which I feel almost shy to tell you because I know that in the US you guys don't have anything. You just have to, you get the placenta out and then you have to go back into the office, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it depends on the job, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm back at work and it's actually quite, quite lovely to, to sort of, Obviously, it's it's always heartbreaking when you're leaving the baby, but it's it's lovely to to cycle away and have your time and not have that responsibility of trying to anticipate what this tiny human wants um, for a whole day. So no, I'm um, it, it is this this part of motherhood is the is the kind of really challenging part in certain ways. I know I know mothers love to tell me that there's plenty of challenges ahead. Sure, but. That's sort of not helpful, right? Because it's so challenging right now, and it's like, oh, don't tell me it just is. I um the phrase, uh, what is it? Um, it doesn't get easier; it it gets different or something. I don't know what, but it's like, no, I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear that it gets easier. But right? I just want them to lie to me. Yeah, and just I'm open to complete like 
fraud. I don't I don't mind. I won't remember it, right? They know I won't remember it. Tell me lies now, I I won't remember them later. (laughs) Exactly. but no, uh, so there's so many things I want to ask you about, but I want to start with um, having it all because that's why I started. I mean, we've said this on the show before, but that's why I started the show is the sense of when people tell you in, yes, the feminist um, culture, you know, yes, you can do it all. You can do whatever you want. You can write. You can be a mother. You can love. And it is disingenuous, I think, because we can work outside the home now and we can have children we can do but society hasn't caught up to that philosophy or that idea so it is actually impossible to do do it all and it sets us up for failure and makes us feel like we're failing on all fronts um yeah so i i hear you and i totally agree with you on that and i think you're doing an incredible job um yeah, and I also hear you about waking up early. Um, before I had kids, I used to wake up at that five o'clock and like right before work and I might be yeah. tired, but you know, that's fine. I can sleep when I'm dead, that whole thing. But yeah, I, I, even though my daughter is six now, I still need the sleep or I'll just be a zombie in the morning. So I think that's it. And they, they are so, I'm sure at six, they still want, they still want you to play so much. You know, they want you to be engaged. They want you to be physical and, um, you need energy for it. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. and I think as well for, like I was, um, so like, just sorry, this is triggered, like making me think of so many things. Like, for example, um, I love cycling and I, I used to go to with, out with a, a very casual cycling group on a Wednesday evening. And my husband used to come too sometimes uh, because we had a four-year-old who could stay with anyone, you know, at six o'clock. Um, and every for a long time after my, if I did show up um, at the cycling group after I'd had my baby, which would not be on a Wednesday evening because I obviously couldn't come out on a Wednesday evening at six o'clock because your baby is going nuts at that time every every time at six o'clock they're always going nuts um and they'd be like oh we haven't seen you I'm like yeah because my baby I've got a baby haven't I (laughs) and but my husband would still go out and they would never no one would ever be like why don't you stay at home which wouldn't have worked because he hasn't got food yeah but um but you know one would make the suggestion um and even my husband went out on this gone week weekend for um like a 40 mile ride and that's fine I I really support him doing this because actually um for him and for a lot I think a lot of men actually the best thing they can do for their children is to take better care of themselves because um especially in in my community men don't take care of themselves and they they have like really a lot of health issues and also shorter life expectancy um, than they really should have through things that they could have easily changed. So I'm I really pro and I really support him doing it. But I just thought like there is no like that is such a luxury to go out for such a long bike ride that will exhaust you to the point that you'll come back and you'll just be like lying down. Like I I wouldn't consider that. Um, and I think and people were on the ride were like, well, do you think Sarah would like to go? on this kind of ride and I'm thinking it's not 
it's not something I can contemplate, you know? It's not something I can even entertain, and I won't be able to entertain it for a good few years. Um, and so there, there's so much stuff like that that you just have to be like, it's not my time, I can't do that right now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's really, really hard because, you know, um, I my, my pregnancies both times, but especially this time, was really challenging. I, I mean, I can't complain. I was healthy there was nothing seriously wrong with me except for anemia and sort of exhaustion and and sickness um but my quality of life was right down um so I that year got written off like I don't think it even existed and then of course I had a newborn and it's like you have two I have two children so that's maybe four years of of pregnancy and a newborn plus you're going to add on another year maybe if you're still breastfeeding that's now six years of you know your adult life if you have another child, you're losing. Actually, this is quite funny because my friend Sidra, who's listening, she's got four kids. Oh, my goodness. She's got five kids. She's got five kids. I miss them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she knows exactly. But it is years of your life. Like um, this summer, I was I got really obsessed that I wanted to do a cycle camping trip. And my family was kind of being like, are you sure you want to go cycle camping with like a little baby? Like you've not really been that far before. And I was like, I just feel like I have to do stuff right now because I feel like I, everything's been on hold for so long. Um, with, with the pregnancy, I mean, let's not talk about the other thing that has caused things to be on hold, but I'm like, I just feel this pressure that I have to do it right now. Um, and it's, it's mother life, isn't it? That, you are losing, you're losing time, you know, you're gaining it in different ways. Um, but as writers, you know, I can't, we can't look at retreat. Uh, I did a, a, a post on Twitter the other day um, and it was really interesting about doing like a DIY writing retreat and people put some amazing stuff and I would love to do that. And you can do anything, right? Um, people were saying they just, um, like they went to their friend's house and like house that or they go to like a really cheap um, kind of B&B or whatever. Um, and they just they go there and they just write. And um, I was like, oh, my God, like even one night of that would be amazing. But I can't. It's not something I can entertain right now because of the responsibilities I have. And, um, you know, there's no way around that. People. Oh, my God. Don't even talk about, it. you know, people love to be like, why don't you just pump? And it's like, oh my yes. God, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Pumping is horrible. It is the worst myth. You know, I think, yes. I, I'm, you know what, absolutely, if it works for you. But I think there's so much, I don't know what's happened. This must have been, must have filtered through media somehow. It must have been in a couple of films or in a couple of TV shows. And there's this understanding that, you know, you just pump and then you're free. You do whatever you want. Easy peasy. Um, so yeah, no. it's just not the reality. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> so many different directions we can go. <laughs> no. And Sidra says, um, above, I think this is a nice comment. She says, I think it's most physically challenging for you now, more emotionally later, but not as continuous, hopefully. And I hear that too. Like the breastfeeding part, I feel like once that tapered off, there was a lot more freedom. And then, Yes, like I don't think I went anywhere, you know, for more than a couple hours when I was breastfeeding and I was pumping like at work and everything. But, you know, I I wouldn't leave my daughter for a day or two. But then after the breastfeeding tapered off, 
yeah, I'm a big advocate of like doing an Airbnb for a night or two by yourself, like the do it yourself retreats. You'll get there, but it's hard. Oh, it's so hard right now. Yeah, that's it. I mean, actually, um, I was speaking to my mom about this the other day and she really put it in perspective for me because I was complaining that, um, you know, I'm trying to go to work. I, I'm still doing my writing. I'm busy with the kids. And then we keep getting sick because kids just keep making you sick all the time. Um, and I was like, it's so frustrating. I feel like I'm losing time. And my mom was like, you're like, you think it's hard. What about me? Because she's like, you've got the time ahead of you. I, she's, you know, 30 years older than me. And she, bless her, she lives with me. So she gets the same sickness bugs that the, whole, the children bring it. We all get it. She gets it as well. And she's like, you know, you've got the time ahead. Whereas I don't know how much time I've got, like um, the stuff I want to do as well. So I try to I try to put it in perspective. And I also I like to think that maybe me and my husband will be those like cool parents in their like late 40s who are like, see your kids like we've got we want to do our stuff now. We want to focus on us. We want to go traveling. Sarah's going to do all of her writing retreats. And um, yeah, I hope I'm sure there'll be a season for that. Mm-hmm. Do you have fear around not accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish? Like when you're talking about your mother and the things that she's st- your mother or your mother-in-law? This is my mother. Your mother. And the things she still wants to accomplish and, and she's 30 years older. And I see my own mother, who's also 35 years older, I guess. And has things that she wants to accomplish. And, and with aging, though, it's sort of like, well, how much time do I have to do those things? And there's pressure. And so my sort of biggest fear for a long time was that I wouldn't accomplish the things I really felt I needed to do. And I still have that that sort of terror, especially around writing. Do you feel that, too? How do you feel about, about it? Um, that's a really interesting question. I think for a long, long time, I had this fear that my writing I guess wouldn't go anywhere um now I think I'm in a place where I write the stories that I want to write and I am able to share them um and then it's kind of like where do you measure your success and how do you measure your goals and I I've been quite open when I speak to my writing friends that I'm kind of like I almost describe myself as um a bit lost right now in that I have really achieved what I set out to do and I'm doing it and it's really fulfilling for me and I'm kind of like well what's next then um I always feel at the back of my mind I feel like if I if I met if I went to like a school reunion and I I used to write in school and people did know of me as someone who who wrote um like some really bad poor quality (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they didn't know they were 15 as well I was 15 we all we all thought it was great um and I feel like I would I would be missing something if I couldn't be like oh yeah I did write a novel and like it has got published and no it hasn't sold three million copies but you know it's out there in the world so I guess I do feel I feel that that pressure a little bit but um I don't really, I think right now I don't feel it too much. Um, I think more, I don't want to, I don't want to move backwards because I think the thing with, the thing that I worry about is 
sometimes I feel I have to put writing on the back burner and then I, I worry about like losing ground and forgetting my practice and forgetting what works and and having to relearn it all again. Um, so so that's what I do worry about. But I think I just find it. I've been finding it so fulfilling. And I think for me as well, I used to have a job that I didn't like. And actually, my job now I really do like. So having a job you hate is very motivating. Um, and having a job you like and being like quite like happy is it's not very motivating. That's what that's when you become very lazy. I <laughs> Once when I can sleep at night, I'll be able to become lazy. Maybe I look forward to that, really. <laughs> Tell me, <clears throat> excuse me, what is your day job? What do you do? So I work in a lab, actually, um, in a virology lab of all places. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's really random, actually. So, it, I mean, at uni, I studied um, at university college to you, Lara. <laughs> I, I studied um, science just because I didn't know what else to study and I just sort of did that but I, I didn't really like um, academic lab work it felt very lonely to me um, and it was I it was wasn't very wasn't exactly a career so you know maybe you could do a PhD but well, where do you go from there and I yeah it, it didn't appeal to me so I thought I would like to work in an office um, so I went to work in an office and found it like really soul destroying um, and not not enjoyable. And I was kind of like, I'm spending my life here, basically, you know, say seven and a half hours a week. And it's it's for what? Like, it's not benefiting anyone, really. Um, and I thought, actually, that I might want to have a more of a job in um, like writing, like doing content writing and things. So I kind of hustled my way into a job like that. But I still found that I didn't find it very fulfilling. And one problem that I really had is that when I spent all day sitting at a desk, the last thing I wanted to do was to come home and sit down to write. Uh, so then I went back to the drawing board um, and I, I thought, let me just try and get a job in hospital lab. I can use my science degree and um, I'll be doing something good. And also, I just had my my first daughter at that point. So I wanted something close to home um, and something a bit sort of stable where I knew what I was doing um, and I didn't have to keep thinking about changing jobs and stuff so I I started working in this lab and I remember when I went in it was it was it's weirdly a lab dominated by women I don't know why um, so I would go in and there's all these women with with their glasses on we're not going to put our contacts in to like stare at the computer and do our little pipetting they've all got their hair up in buttons we're all in jeans and like old trainers we basically look like homeless people. And I was like, I think, like, no one's got any makeup on. Um, and I was like, this is my place. Like, these are me, my people. Um, and, I, yeah, I just, I found that I really fitted in really well. I love the I love the work we run. Like, I always joke in the morning meeting, I look down and we've all got running shoes on um, because we're just running around the lab, like, the whole day. Um, and it, I love how physical it is. I love the social aspect. Um I'm like quite a quite a people person so I, I like being surrounded by people I love that it's all for the good of the patient um and it works so well with my writing because you there's, there, there are times that you're doing a lot of repetition so in those times you can be mulling over ideas um there's other times when you're kind of so so busy that it doesn't um it kind of composts things in your mind 
and then then it can come up in ideas but you get you know you've got all different people talking to you so you hear about all different different perspectives and that that all goes into your writerly mind um and then and then it was because I'm on my feet all day I'm happy when I get that time to be creative and and do a bit of writing and sit down like that's my me time in the evening so weirdly it's worked out really really nicely um except that I'm not miserable and don't feel like as pushed to <laughs> to like get a lot of writing done. But no, I think it's um for me this is the right balance, which is you know it's so hard to know. Like I would never have known. Um, I do think my daughter having my daughter was crucial because um I didn't want to be far away from her anymore. I was I didn't want a job where I was far away. And if I was like if I'm gonna go out of the house every day for so many hours and be away from her. I want it to, to matter and I want it to be worthwhile and I didn't feel like it was before and I do now like I tell her um I tell her like mummy has to go and, and sort the patient samples because the patients need to know what's wrong with them so that their doctors can make them better like mummy has to be very important that mummy does this um and I feel like that's something I can be so proud of her. and I actually I said to her the other day um like what do you think about science and she was like girls should do science because mummy's a scientist. And I was like, yes, that's very good. You're very well done. It's all worked out well for you. <laughs> You've got the right ideas. Um, so she knows I do writing. She knows that I do science. Um, she knows that I, I, I have like an active life and I, I work with people and stuff. And I think it's all really good messages for her. I think when you are a parent, when you become a parent, you kind of question yourself. Am I, am I being my 100% best self to show her or am I, Am I showing her them, her, her or him, depending on your own child? Am I showing them my best self or am I not? You know, can they be proud of me or not? That is amazing. Cedra says that's wonderful. I agree. It's just wonderful. And it is, I feel very important, especially for, not especially, but I only have a girl. So I would say, especially for daughters to see their mothers doing things that they can um, aspire to and that they know are for them, especially science, math, that kind of thing. So um, I will tell my daughter tonight that I talked to somebody who is a scientist and a writer, and she will be very excited about that. Um, and so let's see. I think this is a good moment if you'd like to read something else for us. Let's okay. give you the, the floor again and treat us again to a taste of your work. And uh, okay. dealer's choice here. Okay. I don't know. This might, this might be a bit of a downer, but this is a story that I'm really okay. proud of. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so this story is called Rex is not the name of the hamster you had when you were eight. It's, it's in an anthology called In the Middle. Oh, it went a bit blurry. Then. Rex is not the name of the hamster you had when you were eight. You do not want to touch the body. You say so as clearly as you can. It's not difficult. There are no tricky sounds, no R's, or worse, the shh sound that your speech therapist spent an hour of last week's session trying to coax out of you. You say the words properly, you think, but everyone is still looking at you, so you say it again. Your younger brother Raja has no such reservations. He is crouched next to the long metal box that you do not want to look at. Raja can crouch with his feet flat on the ground. You've tried, but you can't, even though you're the older brother. Cold, he says. You can't believe him for sure, though, because everyone says he's very young. Roger is too young to really understand. Roger is too young to remember. 
you are four years older than Raja. I know this is tricky for you. Daddy kneels in front of you. You hear that word a lot these days. Your speech therapist and your teachers and your daddy all use it. Even the word is tricky for you. It's almost as bad as shh. Last month it was your birthday and your parents gave you a golden hamster. His name is Jonah, or maybe Rex. You're not sure, though Jonas is easier for you to say. You've asked for a pet for years, since the neighbour got a spotted Labrador that they sometimes let you walk around the block. Jonas is nice, but you hope if you take good care of him, you can get a dog next year. You think about Jonas and don't look at the box. Don't force him, someone says. Daddy sighs and stands up. Go and play then, he says. You go upstairs, take Jonas out of his cage and hold his warm body in your two hands, feel the heat through his golden fur. The next week, Jonas is renamed Freddy and months later turns turns still overnight without warning. This too you do not touch and when Daddy asks if you would like a dog, you shake your head. Roger grows up, grows past you, marries a quiet girl who brings you food in Tupperware boxes each weekend and talks about you in hushed tones on the phone to her relatives. You dote on your nieces and nephews, visiting newborns in the hospital and gifting older ones with sweets and toys, but never pets. You turn 43, still four years older than Roger. Now you're one year older than Mummy. You wonder what might have happened, what your life might have been like if Daddy had asked one more time. Thank you for letting me read the whole thing. Oh my gosh, that was beautiful. And it, I think, goes back to what we were talking about, flash fiction and how you can compress so much into a short or a small space and cross time and space and emotion and um, and show the scope of relationships. That was a beautiful piece. Thank you. And I think um, it's something that when you have kids, you kind of tap it a little bit back into the childhood mind. And you, I don't know about you, Lara, but I am constantly paranoid. I'm like, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, is my parenting style, which is basically like, let her run wild. <laughs> um, like, how is it going to affect her as an adult, you know? Um, and you, you, I think about those things a lot. So in this piece, I was thinking about, you know, how parental loss would affect a child growing up, you know, and how children see things, how they perceive things, how their mind kind of jumps um my daughter bless her has had to experience not parental loss but uh, quite a few like two quite quite big losses in her life and it's you know it's a challenge talking to them about these things um and that's something else I'd like to explore even more in my writing I mean you can with flash you can come at the same topic from so many different angles in different stories which is, is one of the wonderful things um I think a lot of inspiration for this story came from, um, you know, watching the way young children move. You know how they can do that little squat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can't do it. And they just yeah, do it yeah. so beautifully and so naturally. And it's it's like they have this this knowledge and this innate kind of way of being that it's almost like they lose it um, as they get older. And then we've lost it completely. Yeah. Um, and they, it's almost that like they have an advantage of, of youth you know of that 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 almost ignorance uh, and naivety empowers them in a lot of ways and um, I think that's fascinating as well absolutely no I love how you articulated that and I've loved talking to you Sarah thank you so much this hour has just flown by but I hope you'll come back and talk to us again when when, hopefully when you're well rested and you know (laughs) That might never happen.
<laughs> I hope it will. I have all of my um, digits crossed for you. So. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been brilliant. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like we could have talked for another hour. You've been wonderful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. No, I feel the same. And we'll just have to stay in touch and you'll have to come back on. Um, and yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Wonderful. Okay, take care. You too. And thank you all for joining us this evening. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And if you have, um, please consider becoming a patron or patroness of the show at writermothermonster.com to help me keep it running. Um, I hopefully will no longer have a cold next week, so I will stop snotting all over my microphone. And I will see you all next Thursday. Good night.